All right, welcome back to another episode of the Walk On Red Shirts. Today, I have William Cockerell back with me, our ACC former Clemson stud. I guess we can call you a Clemson stud. I want to call you a Clemson stud. Uh, today, we're here to preview the SEC. Might have played in the ACC, but he lives in SEC country, so he can be just as much of an expert there. Thanks for joining today. Yeah, thank you. And we played a couple of SEC schools, so, you know, Clemson, the the SEC or the ACC, we're pretty good. That's all right. Honestly, the way Clemson's been the last decade or so, they could have competed in the SEC, let's be honest. No, for sure. So, wanted to get into talking about the SEC today, arguably the best conference, most likely the best conference in college football. The home of the two-time defending national championship, Georgia Bulldogs, Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide, the Brian Kelly LSU Tigers, and a whole host of other teams. Uh, you know, heading into the season, obviously Georgia sticks out, but like, what do you think of them being a two-time defending champion? Like, how does it compare to previous years for a national championship team coming back? I mean, anytime. You, you have a team that wins back-to-back national championships. A lot of stuff that you normally bring into it goes out the window. Oh, you know, you lose players, yada, yada, yada. But the biggest thing for me and, and George's ability to repeat has to has to go to the guy who's at the helm. You don't have Stetson Bennett anymore. And regardless of, of how – I know, Jake, you're not the biggest fan of Stetson Bennett. I'm not either. Uh, yeah, I remember you calling him a mailman or something, you know. Uh he was a great leader and the perfect person for that role. So the biggest question mark for Georgia is the quarterback. You know, regardless of what you bring back, which they bring it back a lot, that's that's the that's a massive hole. And as you can see with a lot of uh, a lot of schools that you know try to repeat, try to get back into national relevance. You know, Clemson being one of them. That quarterback role plays a plays a massive role in being college football playoff relevant. But but to, to kind of add into what you were saying with the SEC being the most dominant conference, I think, you know, the, the, I think the argument lays between them and the Big Ten. But if you look at, like, especially the past decade, or let's just look at the college football playoff era, so eight years, the SEC has had 11 out of 36 playoff teams make it. They've had two teams make the playoff at the same in the same playoff twice. I mean, so – They've made up 33%. So essentially every playoff, they're going, they're in there. I don't think they've missed one yet. And that is absolutely unbelievable. Um, so I think they might take the cake on, on best conference. Yeah. I, I, top to bottom, they're definitely best conference. I think you could justify, if you just want to look at the top premier teams, I think you could justify saying the Big Ten could be competitive there because of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State all being very good teams and if you went toe-to-toe georgia alabama lsu you definitely have a dog fight in there but i think once you start looking at the depth the sec starts to blow it out of the water oh yeah when you start going into the fourth fifth sixth best teams i mean i don't know who you would technically consider even be the third the fourth best team in the big 10 but when you start looking at the fourth best team in the sec it's a fight between is it old miss is it south carolina is it kentucky is it tennessee you know, they, they go eight nine deep and right. You know, there's only a handful of teams looking at the SEC this year, which I'm looking and saying, uh, I don't know if they're going to make a bowl game. You know, there's only maybe two or three. Other than that, you've got a real chance for most of these teams to be bowl eligible. Yeah, newsflash, we don't even have to make it to the, to 
you know, the team previews to say this. Vanderbilt is probably not going to make it to a bowl game. Let's just go ahead and get that hey, out Hey, people are buying their over this year, but I don't think they're going to make a bowl game. You know, I don't well, know how much they're talking about Vandy. Let's get their stadium yeah. fixed in time. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to get their stadium fixed in time. <laughs> Although they do play in week zero. We yeah. do have to we will give you your shout out. I have Vanderbilt covering against Hawaii. I think it's 17 points, but Hawaii is terrible. Aloha. Yep, they are. They they got beat by 50 some odd points against Hawaii last year. Uh check out my my article on the week zero preview. Humble plug. Humble plug. <laughs> so Georgia, obviously two time defending national champion. You know, you mentioned the quarterback, Stetson Bennett's gone. Carson Beck is gonna be the starter. Honestly, he's got a lot of time to get settled in, and the schedule for Georgia allows that. And I don't want to dive in too much because I want to go into them when we get to our team previews. But they're replacing guys, but they still have some huge players back. I mean, Brock Bowers, for instance, is going to be a quarterback's best friend all season long. You know, you could put me back there, and Brock Bowers would probably end up with over 700 receiving yards. He, he's unbelievable, and I think he's – and I don't know the the entire history of the Heisman Trophy in this way, but – to my best knowledge, I've never seen a tight end make it to New York to sit in there for the Heisman finalist ceremony. He's got a really good shot being there. I, I mean, I don't think it's that crazy to think Brock Bowers could be sitting there. I know it's a quarterback award now, but I really would be shocked if Brock Bowers is not sitting there. If you want to talk about best players in the country, Brock Bowers is one of the top 10 best players in the country, bar none. I think I saw today he needs about a thousand yards to break the record for most receiving yards by a tight end in college football history. Yeah. Last year he had 942 yards. So it's fully within his realm to get over a thousand. And honestly, with what the weapons they have back, a new quarterback, they're going to be relying on Bowers a lot. The question for for me is does he play enough to get to a thousand yards? Because they're going to blow a lot of these teams out. Well, I'll play devil's advocate. They also don't play any defenses. I want you, when I name a defense that you think can slow him down, I want you to say stop. Are you ready? Yep, go. Ball State. No. South Carolina. Probably not. UAB. No. Auburn. I don't even know who's on their defense. Kentucky. Maybe slow him down a little bit. Vanderbilt. No. Bye week. There you go. There's the first defense that'll slow yep. him down. Florida. They didn't play defense against anybody last year. No. Missouri. No. Ole Miss. Link if it doesn't play defense. Tennessee. Tennessee couldn't even guard themselves last year. They can't tackle. Georgia Tech. Yes. There you go. I'm, jo- I'm joking. <laughs> SEC Championship. December 2nd will be their – if they make it the SEC Championship, I think they will, will be the first defense that gives him trouble. Yeah. and But like yeah. you said, I could see them just blowing out enough teams. Yeah. Obviously, he should be the number one target, but – depending how they spread the ball around, he will likely get double covered a decent amount with a linebacker and a safety. So right. we'll see how the game plans worked out and if they end up using the receivers more. One of the other intriguing things for me this year, we kind of referenced it a little bit already, is all the new quarterbacks that are starting in the SEC this year. And not just quarterbacks as well. There's competitions in almost every school as well. But Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, and Tennessee are all replacing very good starters. Alabama's replacing, obviously, Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young. Georgia with Stetson Bennett. Um, Florida with Anthony Richardson. As much as you people want to hate on him, he was still the fourth overall pick in the NFL draft. Replacing him is not going to be an easy test. Will Levis is gone at Kentucky. Now they do bring in Tevin Leary from NC State, so that's interesting. And Tennessee replaces uh, Hendon Hooker with Joe Milton. 
So you've got five schools that are replacing full-time starters, and you've got other schools like Ole Miss that are having a quarterback battle between incumbent Jackson Dart and Oklahoma State transfer uh, Spencer Sanders. You know, Texas A&M is having their own quarterback battle as well. There's only a handful of schools having trench starters this year, which is very interesting to me. What, well, what do you, you think of all consider- this? Oh, I mean, I think it's 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 one of the most uh, up in the air coming into week one uh, rosters that we've had in a long time with with the SEC. I mean, normally people have their stuff figured out by now. I mean, especially like the Alabamas. That that's shocking to me that they that they're in a three team race. I mean, the, well, the last time they had that promise because they had five star Tua versus five star Jalen Hurts, and that's normal. But for them to have three guys that they can, they have no idea who they're going to go with, and not even a fans. The fans don't even have a have a clue. I mean, that that's mind boggling to me. Um, and then and I would throw Spencer Rattler in there too. What is he going to look like with the new offensive coordinator? I mean, the, the last three it's games a very of the good season, point. the last three games of the season when they uh, they took away um, play calling uh, abilities from Marcus Satterfield, he threw for three hundred plus yards a game. So he was a totally different quarterback. So we're going to get a totally different quarterback with them too. So. Uh, I mean, the the Alabama situation is going to be very, very interesting. I, I think it's a J, I think Jalen Norro has a really good shot with his running ability, um, and with them being weaker at wide receiver as, as shown from last year, um, I think he gets a nod in that in that way. I don't think uh, what's what's the Notre Dame guy um, Buckner Buckner. I don't know if he has a really good shot. I mean, uh, I, I don't. That know. really confuses me because with all the talent Alabama continues to recruit, you bring in a transfer from Notre Dame. Granted, they brought in Tommy Reese, so familiarity with the offensive system. But Tyler Buckner wasn't anything phenomenal in his limited games last year. I know he got hurt at one point. But he doesn't strike me as an Alabama-level quarterback, especially with what they've had the last 10 years. He doesn't strike me as a guy who is going to come in and basically contend for a Heisman Trophy as the last, basically, four quarterbacks have done. When you look at Bryce Young, Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts. Um, I'm missing somebody else. Uh, oh, and Tua. Tua, yeah. All four of them con- contended for Heisman trophies. Now, not all, all got on invites to New York, but they were all in the conversation. Tyler Buckner strikes me as somebody who's going to be lucky to complete 60% of his passes. Right. I, I think Ty Simpson has a better shot than, than Tyler Buckner does. Um, it, it just depends on can is his throwing ability that much better than Jalen Milrow's running ability? And I know that sounds crazy, but when, when you're able to run like a Jalen Milrow, you can you can lack in your passing. You know, you open up passing lanes that aren't there. Where Ty Simpson isn't necessarily known as a runner, but he's got a, he's known to have a really good arm ability. We don't know because he hasn't seen much playing time. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in Alabama. And I wouldn't be shocked if we see a, a rotation, but I really don't see Buckner getting involved in that rotation either. And Milrow started a game last year in place of Bryce Young because he's injured. He started against Texas A&M last year where and they won. He, he did. He he only threw 19 passes, only completed for 111 yards, scored through three touchdowns, and but it was overall, you know, not the best game. It was an ugly game. They almost lost to Texas A&M. So, you know, maybe that was, you know, just some nerves. You know, it's your first game. You know, he's still young. You know, he now – He's had a chance to work with the first team more, but you know, a three team, three three player race makes it tough. Uh, so jumping along, this is the last season in the SEC before Oklahoma and Texas join. They go to 16 teams next year. They eliminate the divisions. You know, 
is there anything you're looking forward to in the last year before the SEC changes as we know it? You know, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the classic rivalries because I know we're not going to we may not get those um, like we do. I know the ACC did a good job of of tying in teams with you know the three team rotation where you know you keep kind of those old rivalries. But um, I'm curious to see what happens with that. But I'm curious to see what what, what happens with the East. I mean, this is going to be the last year where the East is is the weaker division and, and has a shot to really you know put someone out there that I mean. This is the best – if you're going to take out Georgia and have a chance to play in the SEC championship, this is going to be the year to do it, and this is the last opportunity. I mean, with Georgia having the one question mark at quarterback. So I, I am curious to see what happens the last year with divisions and last year with these classic rivalries. Um, you know, your LSU-Alabamas, I don't think that goes away, but it, there's an opportunity. Your South Carolina-Georgias, I mean, next year they're not on the schedule, and that's mind-boggling to me. I mean, that's that, – they, they play the third Saturday in, in in the college football season almost every year. It seems like you know. So I I feel like a lot we're going to lose a lot of history, but I'm going to take this time to to really just drink it in and enjoy it. One thing that'll be interesting to me is the change in who might be playing. I still think you'll get a lot of Alabama, Georgia, but they've each played in the championship game over ten times. You know, Florida and Georgia from the East have been there a total of 23 times. You know, Tennessee's been there five times. Missouri was there twice. South Carolina was there once. The overall dominance from both sides of the division, uh, you know, there's been years where the second best team in the SEC has been in the West and they haven't been able to match up again. You know, it doesn't happen as often in the East, especially since Nick Saban got there. But I think you're going to more commonly see the two actual best teams in the SEC playing right. compared to when it's, you know, Alabama at 12 and 0 playing a nine and three Florida team. Right. And and, so, it, and that's going to be, I, that's better for the game. That's better for the product. The only thing that I, I don't like is traditional, the traditional rivalries. It, that's, maybe that's, that's the, the old man in me. I, I think that is fair to say. Now, I do believe that there is an intention on keeping that because you can't just get rid of the iron ball. Like, right. No, that's just un American to get rid of the iron ball. That's right. Well, so, the exciting part is we have the opportunity for new rivalries. Absolutely. And honestly, you get to bring back a little bit too because Arkansas used to play against Oklahoma and Texas. Well, they played more against Texas when it was the Southwest Conference. That's right. So, you get to bring that back. You get Texas and Texas AM back. So, you know, there's some intrigue in bringing those back as well. Yeah, that, that, that's going to be exciting to see some of these old, old school rivalries come back. You know, history is cyclical, and it's a, it's a circle. It's, everything comes back, and, you know, it's going to be exciting to watch. Absolutely, absolutely. So I wanted to jump into some of the key players for this season. So I know you and I, we compared our list, and it's very, very similar. We've talked about a couple of these players already. Uh, you know, Brock Bowers, tight end of Georgia, possibly the best player in the country, without a doubt, a top 10 player in the country. Jaden Daniels, quarterback at LSU, might be the best quarterback in the SEC. Quinshawn Judkins, running back at Ole Miss, was a true freshman last year, rushed for like a thousand yards. Harold Perkins was a linebacker, freshman at LSU last year. Dude was an absolute stud. He wouldn't shock me if he figures out a way to be in the Heisman conversation. K.J. Jefferson is back for what feels like about a fifth year at Arkansas as quarterback. And then Texas A&M has got a true sophomore, Evan Stewart at wide receiver. And then Alabama's got another stud defensive back in Kool-Aid McKinstry. So 
you know, what are your thoughts? Who else do you have? Uh, you know, I'm throwing in there the, the, the one other person I have that I'm really wanting to focus on. And maybe he's not a star player, but a star in the making would be Joe Milton. He's got the opportunity to be a star. If he can get his accuracy problems under control, which is a really tough thing to do as a quarterback. And that, that's the thing they say, you can't teach accuracy. But man, if he can, if he can hone that in, he's going to be phenomenal. And if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Josh Heupel. But Harold Perkins, Harold Perkins, Harold Perkins, Harold Perkins. If you had a defense of Harold Perkins, you'd be phenomenal. I mean, I don't know if you remember last year, Jake, but they, they played Arkansas uh, Thanksgiving weekend. He had the flu. Dude had three sacks and a forced fumble. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, I, I love Harold Perkins. And then and, and to go with that, KJ Jefferson is just so much fun to walk, watch. That dude never can make it through an entire season because – he just gets blasted, but he gets up over and over and over again. And he just embodies what I feel like when I think of Arkansas, that's what I think of. It's just tough. Woo pig, Suey. Watch those pigs get in the dirt. And that's, that's, that's what he is. Not a pig, but just a tough guy. Big. Yeah. Harold Perkins is what every coach would love to have on their team. I mean, even in the SEC championship game, true freshman out there, 10 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. You know, <laughs> True freshman with four force fumble, an right. interception, seven and a half sacks, you know, 72 total tackles. Like the first game of the year against Florida State, he didn't even really play. He registered one tackle, you know, second game against Southern registered seven tackles. And then all of a sudden against Mississippi State, you know, there's two tackles for loss, a sack and a half. Next game, seven tackles. You know, all of a sudden it's like by game two, game three, they're like, hey, maybe we got something here with this kid. We should probably <laughs> yeah. <get> loose. Yeah. <laughs> now he's got and a now year that, of the strength. Go ahead. Now, now he's back for you know his sophomore season, probably gonna be one of the best players in the country as a true sophomore, which doesn't really happen at linebacker. A lot of times it takes these guys time to learn. They have to understand the defense, they have to understand opposing offenses. It's way more complex than playing in high school. But this kid came in and just wrecked havoc his freshman year. Well, and don't forget now he's been in a in a collegiate strength and conditioning program for a year. So not only is he smarter, but he's bigger, faster, stronger. And oh, that's yeah. gotta be scary for the offensive lines in, in the in the SEC. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's jump into some teams here. So I want to start with the defending champ, Georgia. The thing that really sticks out to everybody when it comes to Georgia is the schedule. Like they're going eleven and one, just sleepwalking, right? Like even if they sleepwalk through the whole schedule, they're going eleven and one, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's two teams that can beat them. That's Ole Miss and Tennessee, and it depends if Ole Miss goes from being Swiss cheese on defense to uh, tissue paper, and their offense stays the same or gets better, and then if Tennessee. Same thing, if they get a little bit better on defense and then Joe Milton is as advertised. Those are the only two teams that have an opportunity. And Tennessee's so, at Tennessee. That's a tough place to play. The only other one I would even consider throwing in there would be Auburn with Hugh Freeze, just because I think Hugh Freeze could have some things up his sleeves. But I'm also not confident in Auburn being competent by the end of September. I think that's a longer rebuild than what one year is. Yeah. But if Hugh Freeze is going to walk out of his first season with a signature win, it's either going to be Georgia or Alabama. And I don't know if he gets either of them, but if he's going to – I could see him pulling off a signature upset early. But 
I don't think the weapons are there. Yeah. The only reason that you could also say this is because it's basically the it's Carson Beck's first road game. Yeah. So Carson Beck was named the starter. It's the first road game. Jordan Harris is a pretty intimidating environment. Auburn can be ready. I don't know what Auburn will look like at that point. In theory, they they should probably be three and one. They'll probably lose to Texas A and M, but you know, coming back and hosting Georgia, like they're going to be ready. the The fans are going to be hyped up for that one. So if they can get Carson back a little rattled, problem is Auburn's not going to be able to score on that defense. Right, and, and and you know, Hugh Freeze, he's a wild card when it comes to dialing stuff up. I mean, on and off the field, but we don't need to talk about off field stuff. But oh uh, yeah, true, very true, very true. <laughs> uh, don't check his phone history, but uh, but offensively i mean he is he is a guru and if he's going to find a, a hole in that georgia defense he he's going to be the one to do it but does he have the horses to exploit the to exploit those holes i mean i i just don't see it i, I don't know it's going to be tough georgia's georgia's got a pretty decent i mean in, in terms of of, of easy schedules there, there's this up there Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with you. The Ole Miss and Tennessee games are the two to watch out for. Ole Miss at home makes that one significantly tougher. But Lane Kiffin's got the offense to go toe-to-toe with Georgia if needed. But again, the defense is the question because by game 10 and game 11, Carson Beck should have settled in at this point and should have a good feel of the offense. There shouldn't be any jitters. You know, Traveling to Tennessee at the end of the year, like that's the one I've got circled because if Tennessee is going to figure it out, they're going to have to do it at home against Georgia. You know, they tr- Tennessee travels to Alabama this year, so yeah, they they might need this game against Georgia to potentially make an SEC championship game. Right. So this might be going down the Chattahoochee again or the the Chattanooga River again. We'll see. Absolutely, absolutely. And like you said, if Joe Milton can dial in, if he can figure it out, you know, Tennessee has the weapons to contend. Georgia, oh, obviously, true. their defense should be incredibly stout once again. Oh, yeah. Georgia's defense, I mean, they were first against the run last year, fifth in scoring defense. They were 54th in pass defense. That's where people tended to you know, score their points. You know, they didn't give a lot of points last year, but they did give up points to Ohio State. They did give up points to LSU. But other than that, they stayed under 30 points all year long. Kent State yeah. and Missouri were two of them that got over three touchdowns. They got to 22 points. <laughs> out of all teams. And, out and of all teams. Let me add something to Jake. You know, uh, I'm, I, trust me, out of anyone, I'd love to see Georgia struggle this year. I really would. But to, 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 to compare this to basketball, a lot of times with the MVP in basketball, we get MVP fatigue. So you see guys that should be winning it back to back to back to back to back years that don't because the riders want to see somebody else. Don't get caught up in anybody talking about Georgia falling off. They're not going to. Not this year. This is not the year they do it. And it's going to be a really sexy thing to say, to come out and say, ooh, I think Georgia loses a couple games. Don't do that to yourself. It, just just go ahead, buckle up, get ready for Georgia to go undefeated and, and, and pretty much have a cakewalk into the college football playoff, at least to the SEC championship. I'm pretty sure their regular season over-under win total is 11 and a half. So if you're betting under, you're basically betting if they're going to lose a game. Right. So just take the safe bet. Go 12 and 0. <laughs> take the safe bet. You know, I, I would love to talk about Georgia all day, but I want to jump over to Alabama because this is the interesting one to me. We talked about the quarterback situation. Tyler Buckner, Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow. 
nobody really knows who it is, but the, right now the guess is that Jalen Milrow. But Nick Saban also isn't afraid to go in and start the first game with multiple quarterbacks. He's done it before. He has played multiple quarterbacks in, to start the season. He did it when Jalen Hurts won the job way back, I want to say 2016. <coughs> Jalen Hurts ended up winning the job in the first game against USC. But I think that they're going to figure it out pretty quick. After quarterback, where does your concerns lie with this team? Receiver. Receiver. I think they lacked in receiver last year. Uh, you know, I think I think Burton's good. I think he's a, he, he's their best guy. Um, his his first name is, is Jermaine. Right now. Jermaine Burton is it, he is a good receiver. He's not great. He's not Devonta Smith. He's not Jerry Judy. He's not Jamison Williams. He's not Julio Jones. He is a guy that is that is able to get it done. That is not what Alabama is used to. And especially when you have a struggling quarterback, not having those stud receivers is going to hurt. I mean, and. They had a Heisman-winning quarterback last year with Bryce Bryce Young, and they struggled to produce at the receiver position. Jameer Gibbs was their offense, it seemed like, last year. So I, I'm very curious to see what happens. I mean, and, and do you have to lean on your tight ends more? Um, do you have to lean on the running game more? I mean, they always have a, a pretty big stable of running backs. But I, I'm curious to see what happens with these receivers. Yeah, I think there was a lot more hope going into it because last year they also got – uh, Tyler Harrell from Louisville, who was pretty good when he was at Louisville, but just completely flopped last year. I haven't done research, so I don't know if he just didn't play. Uh, I don't know if he got injured, but either way, he didn't produce on the field. Jermaine Burton, Corey Brooks, they combined for 1,300 yards last year right. and 15 touchdowns. Like That's okay, but you really would like a – stud receiver to jump in and be closer to that 900,000 yards. You want somebody that can be a game breaker. You know, the year before they had Jamison Williams, who was just an absolute game breaker for them. You know, anytime he had the ability to go score a touchdown, it didn't feel like they had that at the wide receiver position this past right. year. And I'm not sure if either of them are that guy. Right. They might have to go back to that old school Alabama, you know, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, TJ Yeldon style of running game because they do have some young guys in here. You know, they've got McClellan. They brought in a couple freshmen in Richard Young and uh, Justice Haynes. You know, maybe they do just go back and just start pounding the rock and you know, throwing the ball only when they need to. But even those Alabama teams still had like an Amari Cooper, had a Julio Jones, had guys who could be game breakers on the outside. Right, and they have the offensive line to do it. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty deep at offensive line. So I mean, yeah, they're definitely going to going to lean on that. I mean, the tight ends are nothing to, to write home about. And, and you better figure it out quickly because you got Texas coming in week one. Um, now, two. oh yeah, you're right, week two. Excuse me, they don't play week one, but um, but at least it's the, the the saving card they have on that is that it's in Alabama. They've got that going for them. But you're exposing your new quarterback, and, and it's going to be new no matter who it is because even though Jalen Miller started last year, they have a new offense coordinator and Tommy Reese coming in. And the only person who has any experience in that offense is Tyler Buckner. And I think that's the only thing that helps him out is that he would be steady. He'd be consistent. Uh, consistently bad maybe, but they, they're going to have to figure it out quick because you go Texas, then you go USF, you have a week off, then you have Ole Miss. I mean, 
you might get the you might get the shootout. Now you got Dallas Turner on defense who's going to help you out. Cooley McKinstry, you know, to name a couple people, but Alabama's got to get that figured out at quarterback. I, I don't think they have the guys to do uh, to, to 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 have a two quarterback system anymore. I mean, this isn't Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungvalu running no. out there. No, no, this is not. You have two five stars, and it's competing to see who's better. You're trying to find a guy who can be the guy for you. Not you have two guys who can be it, and you got to figure out, you know, which one is Coke, which one Pepsi. Both pe- people love them both, but which one do you prefer? Right. This is you've got RC Cola, and you've got the grocery <laughs> store brand Cola as well next to it. Which one are you going to prefer in this one right now? Maybe and, they'll prove us wrong. Maybe they will be Coke and Pepsi, but right now they're not. To stay southern, you should have gone RC Cola and Cherry Wine. You know that's that's, that's perfect for Alabama. I am not Southern. We know that. <laughs> so I, the schedule is the big thing for me when you look at it, because yeah, that week four game against Ole Miss, you know, at Texas A&M, the Aggies have given them troubles right after that. They go Arkansas, Tennessee, a bye week, then LSU, Kentucky. Once you get into October, you know, it, it's buckle up. Let's go. Because every week you're going to be getting everyone's best. It doesn't matter if you have one or two losses. It, they lose to Texas, people are still going to have a target on their back because they're Alabama. Right. All these teams have taken a beating from them for 15 years, so they're going to take their shot when they can get it. Yeah, you know, they're the man, and everyone's going to give them their best shot no matter what. Speaking of the team that's going to get people's best shots, LSU is also going to get people's best shots because they won the SEC West last year, and people are talking about them as national championship contenders this year because they have an exciting team put together. Jaden Daniels was phenomenal for them last year. 28 touchdowns, three interceptions, almost 1,000 rushing rushing yards, 3,000 passing yards. Their defense, we already talked about it. Harold Perkins, going to be an absolute superstar. Uh, Mason Smith you know, is a defensive tackle. He missed all of last year. He's going to be suspended the week in week one. But his freshman year, he was also a stud. This team is as talented as LSU has been over the last 15 years, with the exception of the Joe Burrow year. This kind of strikes me more of the late 2000s LSU teams where they had guys like, um, what, Jordan Jefferson that had mobile quarterbacks, but they had stout defenses. They score enough points, but their defense will do a lot. Their defense might not be 2008 stacked where they don't allow a point, but their defense (laughs) is going to do a lot of work, I think, and I think the offense will be better than what those were. Yeah, please don't make us watch another 9-3 to uh, SEC championship game. Or was it Or was it the national championship? Where they no, no, it was 21. They got blown out in the championship game, 21 nothing. They didn't cross the 50-yard line the national championship Yeah, that championship was awful. Game. But, you know, I don't want to give them their, their flowers too quickly on defense, too, because they're, they're, they're pretty weak, it seems, at cornerback. I mean, they have a junior transfer in Zy Alexander. But on the other side, they're supposed to be starting a freshman, a true freshman, which sometimes you get the, the – uh, the Starks kid out of Georgia, and sometimes you, you get someone who's Swiss cheese, and they don't have much depth over or over in the defensive back room. Not, not that we're used to, um, at least not my opinion. So uh, I'm I'm very curious to see what happens with this secondary. I mean, they make I hope they come out there and prove me wrong, but they've got some big tests over there in LSU coming up. So uh, I I don't I think they're going to have to lean heavily on that offense to score points because I, I I'm not sold past that front seven. Yeah, and Denver Harris was supposed to be a contributor transfer from Texas A&M, and now there's a lot of question marks around what's going on with him. Is he with the team? Is he not? Is he going to play this year? 
And so that's just another hit to the secondary there. So for them, you know, luckily they do have Jaden Daniels at quarterback, who is a really good quarterback. But we're going to learn a lot about this team in week one. They play Florida State, you know, in Orlando, basically a home game for Florida State because it's definitely closer to Tallahassee than it is to Baton Rouge. Stop playing neutral site games. Just play this in Tallahassee. Like, why do you got to go the whole way down to Orlando? Like, why you got to go to Orlando? Just play this in Tallahassee. Play this at Doak Walker or Doak Campbell. I forget what the stadium is called. Doak something. Play this in Tallahassee. Play the other one in Baton Rouge. I'm pretty sure they played in the Superdome last year, which is down the street from LSU. Like, right. Just play them on campus. Don't do this to us. I agree. That, that's my rant for the day. I agree. But you're going to learn a lot because Florida State is also a perennial top 10 team. You know, they've got Jordan Travis, so they're going to throw it around. So we're going to learn a lot about the secondary if they can do anything because Florida State's got some talented players. They got Keon Coleman out there. They got Jaheim Bell. They got some guys that can make some noise in the secondary. Johnny Wilson Jr., six foot freaking seven. That's not fair. Yep, him too. So they've got talented players on the offensive side of the ball that are going to try to stretch the field. And how does LSU match up? You know, they might be able to go shot for shot with them, but can they get the stops when they need it? You know, the defensive line, the linebackers, you know, they should have some talent there. But the secondary, like you said, is going to be the biggest question mark. Can they slow teams down? Because in week one, we're going to we're going to see. Now, luckily, after that, they get a little bit of a break. Now, a game at Mississippi State could be interesting. I don't know what they're going to look like. Will Rogers can throw the ball around. I don't think there's enough talent for them to beat LSU. But then, you know, Ole Miss is right there. You know, I, I think LSU is going to lose at least one game this year, if not two. That's my opinion. I think LSU yeah. can be one of the best. I think this schedule is going to be a little too difficult for them to go undefeated. I think it might be a little too difficult for them to even make college football playoff. Yeah, I have them currently as making the college football playoff, but I'm not confident in that pick. I'm not. I wouldn't be either. I wouldn't be either because they have so many tough games on the road. Florida State, technically on the road. Ole Miss, on the road. Um, Alabama, on the road. Like, right. You luckily get Texas A&M at home, but, and you get Auburn at home. But Mississippi State on the road, Missouri at home, or Missouri on the road, Mississippi State on the road. Like, that's just a lot of road games in the first six weeks of the season. Right. The only two home games they have are Arkansas and Grambling. So, you know, come October 14th, they would have only played two home games at that point. So that can take a toll on your team, and they're going to drop one of the first six. I don't know which one it's going to be, but they're going to drop one of the first six games. I'd circle Arkansas. That home, that home game against uh, Arkansas that's right in the middle of everything? That's, that's the one I'm, I'm going to circle. Arkansas had them on a ropes last year. Should have beat them. I think that's the one I want to circle. That, that, that could be where they trip. Yeah, there's going to be uh... – a lot of close games for them. I mean, they played a lot of close games last year. They had to beat Alabama in overtime. They only beat Arkansas by three. They only beat Auburn by four. They beat Florida by 10. So Mississippi State was 15. Like, and they only beat Mississippi State 31 to 16. There's a lot of close games for them last year. Yeah, I mean, so we'll see how the team grew from that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So after these top three teams, it kind of dives into the best of the rest. You know, you've got Texas A&M, Tennessee, South Carolina, Florida, uh, Kentucky, Ole Miss. But I want to talk about Tennessee because I know that you are high on Joe Milton. So tell me what you see in Tennessee. What do you think the offense looks like this year? 
I see the Orange Bowl from the 2022 season, but that took place in 2023. If that Joe Milton shows up week in and week out, Tennessee's going to be as they were last year. They might trip up in a game, but they're going to be phenomenal. Uh, the defense has got to improve, though. They had so oh, yeah. many missed tackles. It, it's it's not like, it's not even like they were there. Now, give them some credit. They played great in the Clemson game against in the Orange Bowl. Not between the the, the red zone to red zone, but once once Clemson got inside the twenty, they bucked up and wouldn't let anything happen. And they played the game of their lives. If that Tennessee team can game plan and show up the way they did against Clemson in the Orange Bowl, they're going to be really, really tough to beat. And honestly, that would be – that that's Georgia's biggest threat. Now, the thing that I would I would want to warn Tennessee about is don't have that Georgia game circled so big that you cross out all the other teams that you're playing on the way there. It's not like you're walking into into Georgia with a with, with some simple schedule. Uh, you're playing some tough teams, and, and it's not like you have – Tennessee's littered with, with – uh, with question marks. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But Joe Milton, with his arm top, I mean, he can throw the ball 100 yards. I mean, he reminds me a lot of 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 Jamarcus Russell, who can run. I mean, Jamarcus Russell. I was going to say, bigger. please don't call him Cam Newton. No, 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 no. I'm not there. I'm not there. He can't run like Cam Newton. The, what, when, I, when he was at Michigan, what he did when he ran – no, excuse me. He was at Tennessee when he did this. When he ran out of bounds on the fourth down play to end the game. That's not a Cam Newton-esque play. That is a Jamarcus Russell. I don't watch film-esque play. But uh, Joe Milton has all the attributes. All the attributes. And he has time to prove it. They don't have a they don't have a preseason rank game until Texas A&M in October. You got Austin P, Florida, UTSA, and South Carolina. South Carolina is the first, the first matchup that's going to be tough. That's hey, don't forget about the opening game against Virginia and Nashville because why are we also playing more neutral site games? Yeah, I forgot about that. What is that? <laughs> why just just play in Knoxville? What are you getting out of playing in Nashville? Yeah, that that yeah. Don't stop playing stop playing neutral site games in dumb locations. That's my that's what I want people to take out of this episode. But I agree. The Florida game on the road, you don't know what you're gonna get out of the swamp. You know, and then South Carolina could be a very interesting game. You know, South Carolina you know, was very, very difficult for Tennessee last year. You know, South Carolina dropped 63 on them. Uh, South Carolina, like we said, replaces a bunch. But, you know, can they slow them down? Can the defense actually show up? The secondary returns a lot of the same players. That could be good or bad, depending on how you view it. Yes, you have more experience, but they also didn't stop anybody. Right. They were 127th in pass defense, allowing just under 300 yards per game. And, and that lose, doesn't win you football games. Exactly. And, and you lose Jalen Hyatt, who is probably the number one player and taking the top off the defense last year. And you lose uh, Cedric Tillman, who's a pretty steady, very athletic receiver. But you still have Brew McCoy and Squirrel White. So, I mean, it, it's not like they're it's not like they're going to be impoverished. They, 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 they still have a wealth of players coming in. Uh, no, they also brought in a transfer from Oregon, Dante Thornton, who that, should be another yes, yes another, another good wide receiver. He is a stud, at, and I forgot about that, so that's a good point. So they should have plenty of good weapons on the offensive side of the ball, but like you said, the key is can they literally stop anybody's passing attack, or is it just Swiss cheese all day? Right. Because if it's just Swiss cheese, congrats, you were number one in scoring offense last year. 
you're going to have to be number one in scoring the offense again this year if you're going to have any bit close of success as you did. Joe and if Milton. you don't, you're going to lose games. Joe Milton is not as reliable as Hendon Hooker. No. And why that's important is Joe Milton is not going to be able to, uh, in those close games, you can't rely on him to win those close games where you're going back and forth. He is going to make a mistake. Hendon Hooker played mistakeless football. You know, he lacked in some of the talent areas, but his his mental game is what kept them dominant last year. And then you, you saw him get exposed in some of the more talented teams they played. Uh, when they played Georgia, he got exposed. But Joe Milton's got that athleticism. Does he have it mentally? I think that's where we're going to ask. That's the biggest if for that team. I, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. The talent is there on the offense to do it. Milton needs to show up, and Milton needs to lead that team. Uh, so moving on, we just talked about this team. Your home state, South Carolina. Your your dream school growing up, actually, if I remember right. Yeah, we don't talk about that too much, Jake. We don't talk about it too much. Everybody's got a bad past, you know. So let's leave it back <laughs> we all look towards the future. That's right. Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler's back at South Carolina. He's a so, gamecock once again. Yes, he is. And let's let's he, talk about mental games. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say the former five star, a former anointed number one overall pick that is not going to be a first round pick. And, you know, he, he struggles, you know, he has games where he is on point and then he has other games where it looks like he just picked up a football for the first time. Right. And which one are we going to see? Because out the gate, we have another, um, are you kidding me? We have another stupid neutral site non-conference game, South Carolina, North Carolina playing in Charlotte, just, just play on somebody's campus. My goodness. Jake is the Duke Mayo classic. We have to play it. We have to put someone has to get doused in mayonnaise. So this one we got to better keep. be Spencer Rattler. <laughs> no, but, but but going back to Spencer Rattler, you know, and we kind of uh, talked about it earlier, but when Satterfield uh, let go of playing play call uh, duties last year, he kind of blew up. Um, he went off in the Clemson game. He went off in the uh, Tennessee game. Um, he's got the ability. Just like Milton, he's got all the arm talent in the world. Where is he mentally? So so we're going to find out this year, was it Satterfield? Was it Rattler? I, I tend to err on the side of Rattler because I go back to his freshman year. Now, granted, he was a true freshman. He's fighting against Caleb Williams. Um, but he's in Lincoln Riley's offense. I'm not going to blame Lincoln Riley on play calling ever for offense. So I, I'm not going to get mad at that. But my biggest thing with South Carolina, they're only returning seven people. Now, that, that wasn't some, you know, amazing roster that they had last year, but they lost a lot of talent. They lost Zach Pickens on defense. They lost Jordan Birch to the transfer portal. They lost Marshawn Lloyd to the transfer portal. They lost Jaheim Bell to the transfer portal. Uh, you know, they they lost a lot of their key contributors. Um, but they keep some. And, and one of the things that I'm most excited about to see with this offense is is to carry on uh, to carry on Joiner. They moved him to running back. He was he came in as a, a four star elite eleven quarterback, um, and you know thought he was going to be the guy. Spencer Rattler transfers in, and this dude just keeps putting his head down and working. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but he went off uh, and was the player of the game against UNC in the Duke Mayo Bowl, and um, you know brought that team back to a victory and was their savior. Spencer Rattler comes in, takes his job. To carry on Joiner doesn't pout about it. He just keeps showing up, and now they're they're giving him the running back job, and uh, you know they lost Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, Juju McDowell's gone. Now they have 
they have to carry on joiner and, and, and the kid from newberry who his name's slipping my mind so i'm very curious to see what the carry on joiner does at running back um they have trey knox coming in from arkansas to play tight end now he's not jaheim bell in terms of athleticism but he's more of a traditional tight end so you've got a guy who's more reliable in the blocking game who can also catch the ball jaheim bell is the guy that he was a swiss army knife he can play everything um, Antoine Wells is, is a juice. Wells is an amazing receiver. I mean, he really came on at the end of the year against Tennessee and, and, and Clemson. Um, he's a guy who could take the top off and really, uh, compliment Spencer Rattler's best part of his game, which is the deep ball. So that South Carolina offense is, is exciting, um, to see what they're, what they're going to do. And, and defense is a lot of question marks. Who's going to step up. You've got Tonka Hemingway in the middle of that defense. You got a couple guys on the outside. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the safety's name who came out of nowhere last year, but but the defense is a big question mark, and they were very consistent last year. The play calling was was abysmal, but I don't know if I could blame the play calling when I, I don't think the Jimmys and the Joes were the best. You know, the X's and O's only go as far as the Jimmys and the Joes, and I don't think they had the Jimmys and the Joes last year. So we're gonna see. We're gonna see. They're a huge question mark, but they've got a lot of hype because of how they ended the year. So one question I have about South Carolina, and this is more of a big picture question, because South Carolina obviously lost Marshawn Lloyd, lost Jaheim Bell. You're losing guys in the transfer portal to other programs. Shane Beamer is very trendy on social media. He likes to relate to the kids, which I think is great because it helps you, you know, bring in those younger recruits, helps you relate and helps you build those relationships. But is it a concern to be losing a Marshawn Lloyd and Jaheim Bell to USC and Florida State, respectively? You're you're trying to build a program here, and you're seeing guys transfer out to go to other programs. Maybe it's to win national championships, but isn't that your goal at South Carolina as well? Right, and, and that is the uh, and, and my mistake. I said Juju McDowell's gone earlier; he's not gone. But uh, that is very uh, concerning to me because those guys were focal points of the team respectively. I mean, uh, Jaheim Bell was the offense. Marshawn Lloyd was the running game. It's mind-boggling me that they left. That that doesn't make any sense. Now, Jaheim Bell's from Florida. I'm pretty sure he picked South Carolina above Florida State. Like, Florida State was on his on his radar where he was going to go. But Marshawn Lloyd, like, one of the reasons he picked South Carolina is he wanted to stay on the East Coast and stay close to home. I hate to tell you that USC is on the exact opposite side of the of the country. I mean, maybe he made a mistake in the transfer portal and clicked the wrong USC when he was deciding where he wanted to go. But that that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So uh, that that that's concerning to me in terms of I mean, because everything you see is that Shane Beamer is building a great culture, and I think he is. I, so this is not me knocking Shane Beamer. So don't take it that way. But that has to be concerning for you as a Carolina as a Carolina fan because your focal points of your team, the, the lifeblood of your team left with eligibility to go be secondary on other teams. Marshawn Lloyd is not going to be the guy on offense. It's going to be Caleb Williams. Jaheim Bell is not going to be the guy on offense down there. It's Jordan Travis. It's Johnny Wilson. It's it's going to be uh, uh, Deion Coleman. Like you're, you're giving up stardom to go somewhere else. Why? That's, that's, that's pretty concerning to me. Maybe they have their own reasons. You know, maybe it's not always a culture thing. Maybe it's not always, you know, the what we think it is. Maybe right. it's a scheme fit. Maybe these guys are trying to play in a specific scheme and they're not enjoying what it is with Shane Beamer. Uh, you know, it, it could be a lot of different things, but to me, it is concerning seeing two 
very key contributors on your team transfer out to go to other programs. You know, maybe Beamer will get it corrected. You know, he's still recruiting well. You know, Nichols Harbor was one of the best high school players. And, you know, he is going to see the field this year. There's no way that they don't put Harbor on the field. They're lost a no, talent. Harbor should play wherever they want him to. Heck, he could play quarterback and over Spencer Rattler for all they can. <laughs> well, they got a guy coming in next year, Lenora Sellers, who I think is going to be a stud. Um, and, and Xavier Luggett, I don't know if y'all remember him from the Texas A&M game. He took the opening kickoff to the house. And the last thing you want to do is give a bunch of rowdy uh, South Carolina fans something to cheer about and, and Williams Price at night. Um, and then the offensive line has been revamped. I don't think they returned any of their, their offensive linemen from last year. If they did, they returned one. But they brought in a, a kid from Yale who was the top Ivy League prospect coming out. He was getting NFL draft buzz and decides to come to, uh, to, to South Carolina to, I, I guess, get exposed more and probably improve his his draft stock. So um, uh, Tashawn Watermaker is a returner, so they, they do have one guy returning. But I, I am curious to see what this offensive line looks like because that, that is going to be um, – they got the weapons. They've got the athletes on offense. But if your offense line can't block, I'm sorry, nothing's going to happen for you. And the, the safety I was referring to is Nick uh, Emanwari earlier. So apologize to Mr. and Mrs. Emanwari. I didn't mean to slight your son. So jumping on to – I want to move over to the West. So Texas A&M was one of the most disappointing teams in the country last year. Let's talk Everybody about thought that – they were going to potentially be, you know, a legitimate contender. Desmond Howard had him in the college football playoff. <laughs> Good old Des. That... Week two, they come out and drop a drop one to, to Appalachian State. You know, honestly, they played Sam Houston State in week one, one thirty-one nothing, and their offense looked abysmal. Week two, they also looked abysmal, but somehow people thought it might get better. They play Miami and they only score seventeen points, and the offense just honestly never got better. You know, they won a couple more games. They beat Arkansas. They beat UMass. Congrats. You win 20 to three against UMass. You should have won by a lot more. And then out of nowhere, they beat LSU because, you know, why not? Um, drop 38 points. Most points they scored all season and drop it against LSU. That made no sense. Makes makes total sense here. College football right there for you. You know, they, they're 101st in scoring last year, 84th in passing, 80th in rushing, 93rd in total. But they have the number one pass defense last year. So, but they had 100. That's because everybody's running the game, they're running the ball because they're blowing them out. <laughs> Everybody Sorry. remembers two years ago, they brought in like eight defensive linemen that were like top 100 and better overall players. They lose a couple of the guys in their transfer portal, but overall, like most of the key ones stay. Like their defensive line should just be absolutely filthy this year with Walter Dolan, Shamar Stewart, LT Overton. Gabriel Brown and Dindy, like those guys should be controlling the defensive line. The question is like, can Texas A&M like look coherent on offense this year? I don't know. They got Bobby Petrino in there and just like Hugh Freese, you know, dude's a wild card on and off the field. So if he can keep the neck brace off, he's going to be good. But uh, I have serious concerns about Bobby Petrino as an offensive coordinator because that guy has been a head coach for so long where – you are taking a guy out of the head coaching role and telling him to just control the offense. Yeah. Okay. Just do that. But like in his heart, in his soul, he's a head coach. Oh, he's and, been a head coach. And Jake, not only is he, is he not the head coach? He's not the head coach on Jimbo Fisher's team. Who's also a guy who seems big ego. You got two massive egos, offensive minded guys. There's no way, there's no way 
that 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 they stay kosher in that in that uh, coaching staff room after every Saturday. But that there's that's just a, a disaster waiting to happen. Jimbo Fisher usually calls plays. Correct. Like he has been the play caller. So you're gonna say to your offensive coordinator who is an offensive finding guy, you're not calling plays. Like I, I don't know how this is gonna go. Maybe they find a way to work, but I have concerns that they're gonna butt heads because of just their offensive schemes, how they do their game plans. Like this, I don't believe this is a match made in heaven. Personally, no, I don't. It's not. It's a match made in hell. And and let's go to the SEC media day where Jimbo Fisher is stumbling over himself when they talk about play calling. Who's going to call plays? Well, it's going to be, uh, you know, you, you'd like to see your offense coordinator do it. You know, uh, uh, there, there might be changes. There's going to be conversation. It's a team effort. Let's see how that flies with Bobby Petrino. I think we'll see Nick brace Bobby Petrino very soon if, if, if that's how the way it's going to be going. I think this is a one-year experiment, personally. I, I think that's. I think it's a one-year experiment. You know, I, I'm not sure what the offense looks like. I mean, one of their best players was Devin Ashane, their running back, and he's off to the NFL. I, I just don't know what this offense looks like. You know, they should have um, Connor Wegman as their starting quarterback, although he was supposedly in a you know, battle for the starting quarterback. So with Max Johnson, who is somehow also in like his fourth year and a sophomore because of redshirt COVID injury and is like a true <laughs> sophomore, like a redshirt sophomore this year, but like he's like 23 years old because, you know, time hasn't existed the last four years. So either Max Johnson or Connor Wegman is going to start. I don't I'm think it really matters. Wegman. I don't, I'm not, I, me neither. Max Johnson was nothing. To, I, I mean, well, I say nothing. Max Johnson was nothing to write home about at LSU. And Connor Wegman didn't get it done last year. I don't I don't know. We'll see. You know, an offseason, there's always a chance to improve. You know, Evan Stewart is going to be reliable. Ania Smith, you know, they've got wide receivers that are talented. I'm just not sold on them being able to do it. You know, week two, they go to Miami. I'm very curious because last year, whatever, that was a hyped up matchup and both teams sucked. I think it could be similar again where it's hyped up and both teams suck. And then, you know, they've got the SEC West to play. You know, they've got Auburn, they've got Arkansas, they've got Alabama. You know, their crossover game is against Tennessee. Like, good luck there. Also, no, this isn't this doesn't play a role, but who's pulling for Texas AM out of outside of College Station? I don't think Nobody. Right. I think everyone's pulling against them. So like the, the media is going to be on their ass week in and week out. Everything they do is going to be is is just going to be under a microscope, and uh, they've made their bed. Let's see what happens. Texas A and M it doesn't have the history people think they do. They they were they've been a severely average program for like a hundred years. They they don't own these national championships. They don't own all these Heisman Trophy winners. They're an above average program that was in a very good market that got pulled over the SEC and was good at the right time. You know, they Johnny Manziel was hot the first year. So everybody automatically assumed that they were going to do it. And then Kevin Sumlin got fired. Jimbo Frischer, they paid him an absolute ungodly amount of money. And then his COVID year, he loses one game. But last year, you go five and seven. Like Jimbo Fisher's on the hot seat this year. I don't know how else to put that. Jimbo Fisher goes five and seven this year. He's fired. Like there's no excuse. He can't have a winning record with the amount of talent on this team, the amount of money they're paying him. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. If, if he, if he loses more than three games, 
I don't know how they bring him back with with the amount of money that that the football team gets from uh, from from donors. There's no way they wouldn't mind buying out that 100 million dollar contract. They're second. They're second in the NCAA and and the amount of donations they get over 900 million dollars. What's 100 million dollars at that point? That's chump change. I have I have serious concerns that Jimbo Fisher is actually as good of a coach as what people think he is, and I, that Jameis Winston helped him get to where he is. I mean, you saw even the next year afterwards, uh, after Jameis left, like they weren't that good. And, you know, he got checked out pretty quick. You know, they were a preseason top five team, one injury to the quarterback, and the whole ship fell apart. Right. So is that how he is? Is if one thing happens, you know, the ship just sinks? Because, you know, I hate to break it to you, but I don't think they get out of October without at least two, if not three losses. Yeah. I don't think they beat Alabama. Miami's in a tough game. Uh, traveling to Tennessee is not easy. You know, Ole Miss is the first week of November. Like, I, I seriously think they're an 8-14 this year. I, I don't think that they are destined for double-digit wins. I don't think so either. I think we're going to have another uh, disappointing year for our, for our beloved Aggies. So there's a couple more teams I want to touch on. These teams probably aren't going to play as much of a factor, but I want to jump over to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss because – this team is intriguing because Lane Kiffin has done well, but can't get over the hump at Ole Miss so far. I know he's only been there a couple seasons, but he's put up pretty exciting offenses year in and year out. Should be another year with an exciting offense. You know, Quinshawn Judkins was the stud running back even after Zach Evans came over from TCU. Judkins, you know, rushed for 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns. Jackson Dart is back, although he's battling with Spencer Sanders. Dart's probably still going to win. You know, there's a lot of talent on this team uh, that they're going to make noise on offense. Question is, can they finally play defense? Yeah, we're going to see. I, I think, I think Ole Miss plays a season ruiner this year. I think they have an opportunity to upset a lot of people. I think they they have. I think their ceiling is a New Year's Six bowl. Um, but if you don't play defense. Yeah, you don't go. You don't win the SEC by any means. I mean, the only team that's ever done that is LSU in 2019. I don't know if people remember. They didn't really play that good of defense that year. And they so had I, talent on it. They just, like you said, they didn't play great defense. They just had a ton of guys, and but the schemes and everything didn't line up. You know, Ole Miss started the season last year seven and zero, and then they finished the season one and five. Now there was they should have beat Kentucky. Uh, last year, they they blew that. They game. did beat Kentucky. They did beat Kentucky. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm, I Alabama, they lost by six. Yeah. <coughs> uh, Mississippi State, they lost by two, and then they got blown out by Texas Tech. Right, and Arkansas put a whooping on them too. They did, and so did LSU. So, <sighs> Lane Train, come on, put some guys on defense. Your offense is. Um, which, by the way, he obviously changed his mantra a little bit. The running game. They have the number one running offense in the country last year. And let's put that into perspective. That's more rushing yards per game than Navy, than Army, than teams that run the triple option. I, that That's mind-boggling to me. And not only does that 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 look good for Lane Kiffin, like, hey, he, he saw what his offense was good at and he went with it. But Quinshawn Judkins is a true freshman help lead an SEC team to the most rushing yards per game in the nation. That is unbelievable. And I, I don't think they get enough credit for that. No, no, I don't think they do either. And I, I think that this is going to be interesting. The other part is for defensive coordinator, he brings over Pete Golding from Alabama. 
Now, there were some rumors that he was trying to leave that out. Nick Saban was trying to push him out. Um, so that's that's interesting that he brings Pete Golding over, especially because Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban used to work together. So don't know if there was some sort of deal that might have been worked out. The other fun fact is their offensive coordinator is Charlie Weiss Jr. Oh, I like that fun fact. So the two other teams I want to touch on are Florida and Kentucky, and they're both in the SEC East, and they're very different teams because Florida was not good last year. Florida, people expected a lot more out of Billy Napier, and he just didn't provide. They get off to a hot start playing Utah, but then they lose to Kentucky. They beat South Florida, lose to Tennessee. You know, they're playing some of these close games. And then it just seems like the wheels fall off. You know, they lose to LSU. They lose to Georgia. They beat AM. They beat beat up on South Carolina. But then you lose to Vanderbilt. You lose to Florida State. And, and you get a whooping by Oregon State in the bowl game. Fun fact, Jake. My daughter was delivered in four minutes somehow, but was delivered during the Florida and Oregon State game. So I got to watch that while. Did you uh, just say your daughter was delivered in four minutes? She was delivered in four minutes. My son was an hour and a half. Of, of active labor, 19 hours of labor. Oh. Uh, but my daughter, she was delivered in four minutes. Push, push, oh. boom. She's out, out of there. She's a fastball. Hot, hot, hot hike. <laughs> so I, I got to see the, uh, the, the the beavers just completely dominate the gator. So so my my, my daughter was really thoughtful and um, making sure she came out quickly so I don't have to miss too much of the game. We appreciate her. <laughs> So, uh, Anthony Richardson's obviously in the NFL now. So, they bring in Graham Mertz, who had a serious up and down tenure at Wisconsin. You know, they bring in a couple other guys. They bring in Taraji Mitchell from Ohio State. They bring in RJ Moten from Michigan. Like, they're doing some things to try to improve this defense because the defense was not good. They were 100th in rushing defense, 84th in passing. They couldn't sack anybody. They allowed over 400 yards per game. The defense was terrible. The offense was okay. Anthony Richardson didn't throw the ball a ton, so their passing defense was bad. Their rushing defense was a lot, or rushing offense was a lot better. But this should be a very different team because Graham Mertz is going to play much different than Anthony Richardson did. Well, and this isn't this isn't the Wisconsin offense, so I, I don't feel like Graham Mertz is, was designed to play in the in the Wisconsin offense. I mean, he seems like more of a gunslinger guy who who likes to take risks, and you cannot make mistakes in that Wisconsin offense when you rely so heavily on the run game. But but to go back to the Florida's defense, I think they took a big hit on that defensive line. I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, but Justice Boone, Sumter product, shout out. Uh, I think he tore his ACL and is out for the year. So uh, that that's a huge blow to their defensive line. He was a defensive end. Uh, so hopefully they have the guys that, you know in the stable that can that can back him up. But I know like when you're trying to build a defense and trying to come back from a hundredth worst defense in the in the country, you need yeah. as much depth as you can get. Yeah, you, you want to take everybody you can get to you know help your team out. Um, you know that'll be interesting because you know somebody you're familiar with, uh, an ETM brother is their star running back, Trevor Etienne, the younger brother of Travis, you know, rushed for over 700 yards, six touchdowns, average 6.1 yards per carry, should be one of the main running backs. They also have Montreal Johnson, who rushed for over 800 yards. So they've got a nice tandem of running backs there. The interesting part will be how the offense evolves because Anthony Richardson was the dynamic running threat. Graham Merch is not that dynamic running threat, so they're going to look a little bit more of a traditional running style rather than 
um, you know, uh, a two-headed monster already under center. Right. I see. I think we see more of a pro style. I mean, when you have Anthony Richardson, you, you're going to allow him to to, to to do Anthony Richardson things, run out, you know, uh, really just you know play to his you know ad lib on the offense. But Graham Mertz, he's a pocket passer. Now he might be a gunslinger, but he is a pocket passer. So they're going to go back to that more. The, the running attack is going to go through Trevor Etienne rather than through Anthony Richardson. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, what that offense looks like because it's going to be completely different. So, And then this is the second year of Billy Napier. So who has he brought in? He's got more of his guys in there. So it's, it's going to be – it's going to look more like Billy Napier. You know, we, we're, we're too harsh on these first-year coaches. I mean, they, 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 they are bringing in a totally different roster. Um, and now with the transfer portal, a lot of guys dip out. They, they don't have the talent that they had coming in. So give these guys – give this guy some time to recruit and, and get his, get his uh, men in there. But let's see what he can do. Yeah. And the last team that I want to sit here and talk about is Kentucky because Kentucky is an interesting one because Mark Stoops has had this team on the rise over the last, you know, uh, decade or so since he got there. And you know, they lose Will Levis, you know, he goes to the NFL, but he replaces him with a pretty solid quarterback in Devin Leary from NC State. You know, Leary only played in six games last year, but he's been a pretty solid quarterback for the Wolfpack. Should be a pretty seamless transition, especially in terms of talent. You know, maybe Leary isn't the NFL-ready quarterback, but he plays a similar style. Um, probably just doesn't eat nearly as much mayonnaise. <laughs> if, if Leary can stay healthy, I, I think they, they've got to get a shot to, to make some noise in the East. Um but but again, they're, they're they're similar to Ole Miss in the, in the fact that they're just going to play spoiler to a bunch of teams. Um, and, and Mark Stoops has done a good job. I mean, Kentucky used to be a joke. The, the, the only team you could really chalk them up the beat was was South Carolina because somehow, for some reason, South Carolina forgets how to play football and they play Kentucky. But uh, it, Mark Stoops has really turned them into a, a, a respectable program. And we're not one used of to that. the one of the common misconceptions last year is because Will Levis was there that the offense was good the offense was actually very bad the offense was 95th in passing 112th in scoring they were in games because their defense was 13th in scoring 7th in passing 12th in total defense you know they had multiple games where they were holding teams to only a few points they held georgia to 16 points last season you know tennessee beat up on them but you know they held florida to 16 points they held Old Miss to 22 points. They held South Carolina to 24 points. You know, they were holding teams down and just winning that way. So if if they're going to have that kind of defense again, now it's hard to have that expectation to be able to that, especially when they have the kind of turnover they do. You know, they had multiple people transfer out. Um, you know, they had people that went to the NFL, but. You know they have enough talent on that team that they still should have a pretty good defense. You know the schedule is formidable. They don't really have any difficult non-conference games, with the exception of their rivalry game against Louisville at the end of the year. But their crossover game, you know, is Alabama. Like that's not easy. Then they play Mississippi State. Like this team could win nine games because we don't know what Florida is. Missouri, we're not really sure what they are. You know, if they play spoiler against Tennessee, but even if they lose to Tennessee. Even if they lose to Alabama, you know, who they could lose to Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and they win nine games. They'll be the most fake nine win team out of anybody in the, <laughs> in the country. But you know, nine and three is nine and three. And Mark Stoops will use that on the recruiting trail. 
Don't apologize for winning games, Kentucky. Don't do not apologize. Nine of three is nine of three. Like I, I could seriously see it. I don't think they're going to beat Tennessee, Alabama, or Georgia, especially since uh, they're at Georgia. Tennessee and Alabama are at home. You never know with Alabama with what they're talk what they got going on, like we talked about. So that could be an interesting matchup. So, but I could also see them beating Alabama and then flopping at South Carolina the next week. Right. Or come out pissed off. We'll see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so are there any other teams that you want to talk about before we head into our conference predictions? No, I think we've, we've covered them all. We've covered them all that I want to talk about. Sorry, Missouri, Vanderbilt, uh, Mississippi State, and I forget Arkansas. who else we missed. Arkansas. We talked about Arkansas briefly. Missouri. Yeah, yeah. We, we um, gave Arkansas for some love. Um, we didn't give any Missouri love, but Missouri belongs in the Big 12, and I'll fight anybody who tells me that's otherwise. Yep, I agree. All right, so give me your big or your not not Big Ten. I don't know why I'm saying Big Ten. Uh, SEC West champion. I'm just going to assume that you're saying Georgia is going to win the SEC East. I've got Georgia. Yeah, yeah, shocker. And I've got LSU. LSU coming out of the West. Who you got winning it? I've got Georgia winning it. They're going to be healthy. They're going to be running on all cylinders. Carson Beck. We're going to find out who he is. And at that point, he's going. If if he's the guy, he's going to be on all cylinders. And with 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 the amount of studs they have on that offense, uh, I don't think LSU hangs with them. I have the same championship game as you. I think Georgia enters that game twelve and zero. LSU is going to enter with at least one loss, if not two. It wouldn't shock me if they're ten and two and lose to Florida State early in the year. I like LSU to win the SEC this year. I don't know what it is. I I like what they have. I think that defense is going to have time to put things together. I don't think the secondary is going to be as big a concern when you play Georgia because you'll have, be able to have linebackers help with Brock Bowers. Georgia doesn't have the outside playmakers that some of these other programs do to really stretch the field. Unless Carson Beck completely proves me wrong and is a gunslinger out there, I think LSU's front seven can help uh, slow down the run game and then not have to worry nearly as much about the passing game. And I think Jaden Daniels is going to bring a different dynamic that Georgia's not going to face much this year and give the Bulldogs fits. So I think both teams still make the college football playoffs. Yeah. But I think that LSU makes it as conference champion. I think Georgia makes it with like a 12-1 and record. In my prediction that we did uh, for the walk-on red shirts, I had LSU winning the, the conference to get into the um, – college football playoff in Georgia getting in because they're Georgia. So I just went against what I said earlier, but I I can see LSU going 10 to 2. I can see LSU going 12 and 0. So it really depends on what Brian Kelly does. It really depends on how big of a step Jaden Daniels takes and what that defense looks like. So it's going to be exciting. I, I, it's going to be exciting. The SEC is going to be Absolutely. fun to watch this year. Yeah, there's a lot of intriguing teams and it's going to be fun to watch. Um, you know, week one, we get started off with Florida going out to Utah. So we're going to learn a lot about the Gators real fast. So uh, we'll appreciate you taking the time today. Appreciate you joining for another episode. He will definitely be back on more of these episodes. So make sure to follow, like, subscribe, go to the website, at the walk on Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all the social media platforms, and make sure to come back for another episode. Thank you, guys.